Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We're the only country that comes up with a name for fun. Crack. It's blackguarding. It's scutting. It's no harm. 55 euros straight out of my account. So they have my money and I have no test. Sad time for all these people. And it's always a good-hearted person to change them. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 See a story out there this morning. I'll tell you more about it later. The first person is alive now who will live to be 150. 150. And anybody born after 1940, yes, I do fall into that bracket. Smart horses. Um, has now got a very good chance of living to be 125. I often say it to my children, you know, I say... Lads, I'm going to live long enough to be a complete nuisance. Uh, one time I said that to my daughter. She looked up over the head of her pint and she said, Dad, in that case, you can die now. <laughs> she did not, of course, mean it. 0818, I hope, 96, 96, 96. Sad story in the news about the NCTs. 12 days. I'm sorry, 12 days. 12 days. Not a prayer. I see a story in the paper as well this morning where they say that they'll sort it all out by June. Applus has said that they will sort out all the delays by June. I wonder how the hell they're going to do that. If I go online this morning to look for an NCT date for my little car, I could be waiting till October to get a date. And yes, if I ring this priority line, they'll sort me. But I, I shouldn't have to. According to The Independent this morning, 425,000 vehicles with a due date for the test, which is like in the past. So their due date was December, November, January, 425,000 of those. And at the end of January, and, and that number has gone up by 50,000 since January. The Oxford Committee was told all this. Applis say they'll sort it out. They'll say they'll sort it out. They say they're 170,000 above the norm for this time of year. In other words, behind target. 12 days is what the contract says. The NCT's contract with the government is that they'll have everybody sorted within 12 days. They also argue the average waiting period now is 28 days. It is in my nanny. It is in my granny's apple pie. 28 days. (sighs) They've no hope of sorting it out by June. Give me a break. Which June? Which June? You know? Lots more to do, lots more. Busy morning. I see where public pressure has really changed this bus connects. And if I'm reading the examiner properly, that's what that is this morning. I'll have a better look in a minute. I think that the cherry trees, John Spillane's beloved cherry trees, may have been saved. John was on with me earlier in the year. We played the song, the beloved cherry trees of John Spillane's song, were under threat from this Bus Connects crack. They seem to have been saved. I'll read further into that, maybe, uh, during the morning. But I'm joined first by Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment and former Housing Minister, uh, Simon Coveney. We have not had the politicians on 
throughout the course of the eviction ban controversy in the last couple of weeks, and we now know the eviction ban is officially lifted as of tomorrow, Friday. And from Saturday, 1st April, people will start to be evicted. We've already spoken to some people this week who are facing eviction from this weekend. Some people are already considering what they call overholding. And when we have an opportunity to talk to a senior politician about these controversies, we're going to take it. We didn't actively look for them, but the opportunity arose. And I'm joined by Prime Minister Coveney. Simon, I have to put it to you that, look, you've won all the important votes this week. You won the confidence vote. You beat the Sinn Féin legislation. You won all the votes you need to win. You've got the numbers, as we all knew you would have, really. But, look, the harsh reality is you've knowingly shown yourself to be a government that's willing to let people be made homeless from this very weekend. Like, like, like how do you respond to that? Good morning. Well, look, first of all, you know, while the government has won the votes this week, uh, we're, we're more than aware of the extraordinary stress that a lot of families um, are under in the context of homelessness. Uh, and the government's only motivation here is to, to get more homes for people so that we have less families and people homeless. We have nearly 12,000 people in emergency accommodation in Ireland today. About 3,500 of them are children. That is a scandal. The government is aware of that and we are focused on fixing it. Uh, But we don't believe that by uh, extending an eviction ban that was put in place on a temporary basis through the winter is going to help in that effort. Uh, And let me just explain why that's the case. Last year, we saw 21,000 landlords leave the market. That means that there are significantly less homes available to rent uh, for families that need them. Uh, And so the focus has got to be on supply. And if we know that extending the eviction ban uh, is driving more and more landlords out of the market, more and more properties available for rent being taken out of the market, well, then we know that that's going to make the problem worse. And and what opposition parties are are looking to do here is a a short-term fix for people who, yes, are under pressure right now, but actually is going to add to the bigger problem. So, you know, we've got to be focused, of course, yes, on people who have eviction notices and helping them uh, to find new accommodation. Um, But we've also got to be focused on the close to 12,000 people who, um, some of them are, are are part of family units, but... But those people, we've got to find accommodation for them too. But the, whether it's social the, housing, whether it's yeah. affordable housing, whether it's affordable rent, uh, or the the myriad of other support mechanisms that are there for people. And you know, like if you're saying to me, do I believe that extending the eviction ban will, will actually help the challenge of homelessness in Ireland? My answer to you is that no. I think it'll make it worse. But, but the people that are to be evicted in the immediate future, Minister, where are they to go? Well, I mean, last year uh, we know that there were there were fifty thousand new tenancies found last year. Um, so the vast majority of those people, um, uh, we've got to work with them uh, to make sure that they find new tenancies. 
that there are um, uh, that the social housing made available um, uh, in certain circumstances uh, that actually local authorities can actually buy up the property while tenants are in situ uh, in cases we've given we've given significant resources to local authorities including Cork City Council and Cork County Council to uh, to buy up properties from landowners who might want to rent them any longer but might want to sell them mm. with tenants in situ to protect them um, so there are a series of supports and mechanisms that we are putting in place to try to ensure that people can stay in the properties that they're in uh, and and if people um, um, need to leave those properties for mm. for whatever reason because there are there are you know uh, significant protections for tenants in place in terms of security of tenure landlords can't just ask people to leave but in the case where where landlords are asking people to leave because they have a a son or a daughter that they want uh, uh, to move into their property or because they want to sell the property or whatever, we are we are obviously trying to look for alternatives um, uh, to help families to find new tenancies. And as I say, last year, you know, uh, about 50,000 new tenancies okay. happened across the country. Okay. And so that is, that is going to be the solution for the vast majority of cases. But look, is this stressful? Is this difficult for families? Of course it is. Yeah. We simply don't have enough homes and the government has got to build more homes. It's got to bring back more vacant properties into use and it's got to encourage more landlords into the market to make make available their properties that are currently vacant in some cases yeah so that we can um we can ha- we can increase supply you, that's the way we solve this problem if you you know if you take the approach of actually trying to protect people who are in tenancies at the moment which is important of course but only focus on that without actually increasing supply well then in the medium term we just put more and more families at mm. risk of homelessness all, all of what you say that's the, that's the key issue here all of what you say is logical when one thinks about it but I'd put it to you that people like Peter McVerry people like the Simon community the penny dinners here locally have yeah. been queuing up to say fine do all these things but while you're doing them keep the ban in place why would the government ignore people of that stature and as is being perceived minister decide in favour of landlords oh, well, look, look, I mean, this isn't a question of deciding in, in favour of landlords at all so it's this been is seen about- Simon no, 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 but but we know that over the last twelve months, twenty-one thousand landlords have left the market. You know, so so they're leaving in their droves. There's still thousands leaving, mm. um, and and the problem there is my concern isn't isn't so much the landlords. My concern is that their properties are no longer available for rent, and so people who then need need those rental properties. Uh, for accommodation aren't getting them. We have we have lots and lots of examples of properties that are vacant at the moment that are owned by people who may have been landlords in the past who aren't willing to make their properties available for the market any longer, or else they're looking to sell them. Mm. Uh, and so, so so that says to me we have an imbalance in the market. And look, of course the primary motivation here has to be to provide a good stable accommodation for people who need uh, to rent at affordable rates. That's the only motivation here. But but whether you like it or not, you need landlords in the market to do that. The state can't do everything. And like what the opposition parties seem to be suggesting is that they're okay with driving landlords out of the market and that the state should provide accommodation for everybody. Like that's that is not possible. The mm-hmm. state last year provided over nine thousand social houses, and this year will do the same and more. 
um, uh, um, we'll continue to support tap tenancies uh, and so on. Okay. But okay. but but for in order to to provide suffi- sufficient supply, we need the private sector as well as the government and government agencies and local authorities and approved housing bodies all providing more and more homes but but all the research tells us and like whether we want to ignore this or not like we can't all the research tells us that that the uh, the eviction ban through the winter isn't the on, the only reason um, but it certainly is a significant contributing factor to driving more and more landlords out of the market which is making less and less properties available which is putting more and more pressure on people looking for accommodation. Okay. And so that's why the government, look, I mean, the easy thing to do for us, PJ, of course it would have been a more popular thing for us to, to simply extend the eviction ban again and again and again, roll it over. But if we know that it's having a significant impact on reducing the number of properties available for rent, you know, we've got to act on that. Okay. And okay. You know, the, opposition, the opposition don't have to make these decisions. They simply have to make, make arguments from the opposition benches the government is the one that has to find accommodation and build new accommodation and fund that and put the policy in place that makes that happen. The truth is we are not where we need to be. Like we don't have enough uh, accommodation. I was a housing minister and I know this. Uh, we have got to build close to 50,000 housing units per mm. year. And you know we're and near that. Portion you know we're near that. Need to be, well, well, we're currently at 30,000, PJ. And a few years ago, the figure was half that. So, like, we are we are rapidly increasing output, but we need to do a lot more to help families. And, of course, in the meantime, uh, we need to put strong social supports in place for families that find themselves in, in, okay. in difficulty. But, look, I, I can just tell you, the opposition parties don't have a sole monopoly on, um, you know, on compassion on this issue. You know, I... I uh, of course, recognise uh, the the extent of the concern and worry and passion and anger. Government has to respond to that challenge, and we will. Let me let me move on to the the, the particular reason why you're with me this morning, and that is an event in Rochestone Park with the business sector. What's going on there? Yes, look as as you know. Um, I'm the Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment now. Uh, and, you know, to solve issues like housing, uh, to, uh, to make the reforms and increase investment that we need uh, for improved health care and a whole range of other social supports, we've got to have a thriving economy. And what that means is more people in employment and businesses um, um, that are profitable and growing and expanding. And fortunately, Ireland has a very, very strong economy at the moment, which is helping us to solve some of the big uh, social challenges that we face. My job is to keep that going and to help businesses across Cork, uh, uh, give them the supports that they need, the uh, the policy certainty that they need, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the tax breaks that they need, and so on. Uh, and so, you know, I'm around the country at the moment meeting businesses. Uh, and this Friday morning in Cork, uh, we'll be in the Rochestown Park uh, for the full morning. This is about a, a sort of a blunt engagement with with businesses and business leaders in Cork to listen to what they have to say first and foremost and to outline all the supports that we're providing for them through what we know are difficult and volatile times, whether it's energy costs, whether it's changes in terms of supply chains linked to the war in Ukraine uh, and uh, and a post-COVID environment, whether it's linked to Brexit 
but most importantly, actually, uh, the business supports, yeah. the advisory service, the mentoring, all of the other things that the state is doing to make sure that our economy stays strong at the moment, uh, which, which of course, pays for everything. I won't go back to where we were before, but but I imagine some of them will, will probably ask you this morning, I, 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 I'm hiring staff, but, but they've got nowhere to live, and I suppose that's a question that will come up at the event. Lastly, I want to return to your immediate past portfolio, which is as Defence Minister and the Women of Honour report. I've read through it, Minister. It's shocking. It's shocking. Had, yeah. you, had you any idea that le- that level of misogyny and abuse existed in, in the forces that you were in charge of? Like, what's your reaction? Well, look, I was the minister who set up the, the judge-led independent review group yeah. that actually produced this report. I set it up for a reason, because I was worried um, uh, about what was happening in the defence forces, both historically and to this day. Um, I was not happy that the defence forces had the capacity to change themselves uh, and I needed to to have an independent review group that was led by a senior judge uh, who could um, make a serious assessment of what is currently happening and what has been happening historically in the defence forces and we have got a very blunt and hard-hitting report that I think has shocked a lot of people and even people like me who've been looking at this issue and trying to find solutions to it um, you know, in recent times, you know, I, even I'm shocked by by the, the strength of the language in this report. Uh, and this has got to be a major wake up call for the defence forces and for the government in terms of of of, of our insistence on very fundamental change okay. in terms of culture in the defence forces for the future. Um, and and I think this report will be the catalyst for that change. Um, and it needs to be because there have been various efforts at different times over the last 20 years to try and bring about cultural change, recognising problems of bullying in the defence forces uh, and in some cases, sexual abuse and sexual assault. Indeed. Um, and and they have failed. Okay. And that is, that is the truth. Right. So this time, it can't fail. Uh, and that's why we have got to make sure now that, that we adopt the recommendations of this report to put in place a statutory inquiry. This is this is going to be a difficult change for the Defence Forces. And there are many, many very good people in our Defence Forces, and I know them well. But the fundamental problems that have been highlighted in a very blunt and direct way in this report have got to have a very comprehensive response. And I can promise you the government will be insisting on that. Okay, Minister, thank you very much for your time this morning. Appreciate it. Thank you. Minister, Minister Simon Coveney. Yeah, a lot in that. Uh, I'd like to know what you think. Kate, you were listening to the Minister. Hi, um, nobody is answering the question, where are people going to go? Nobody has answered straight out. Where are people supposed to go when they're gone out of the house? And also, with the eviction ban gone, landlords, I've seen it, where the landlord has said, I'm selling the house. The person is gone, and then, all of a sudden, there's somebody back in there, and the rent is gone way up. And that happened locally. And he just raised the rent then for somebody else. Yeah. It, it, so it's a question it, it, I tried to ask him. You can't shake it out of them. If you can't shake it out. You can't Leo shake Bradford it out. Of them. Is the same as Leo Bradford, um, Minister Martin. None of them will answer the question: Where are people yeah. going to go? Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of different cohorts affected, Kate. You make the point yeah. that look, there's people who have jobs, have yes. a home, but they can't advance their career because of this. Good. They can't, and people who've been offered jobs in other places can't get housings in the area. They can't. There's nothing to rent. Yeah. 
So what is the person going to do that's going to be evicted in a couple of weeks' time? Where are they going to go? There's nowhere for them to get. You, yeah, you, know? say, you say you know people who are turning down good offers of jobs. Oh, yeah. And they just can't then come down. And it's like if you go to Dublin, you couldn't afford a house in Dublin if you were offered a job up there. True. True. You know, it's, 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 it's crazy. But I just want to know, none of them will answer, where are people going to go? Yeah. They don't know what to do. They have no answer for it. Yeah. What they said is that we're putting all these provisions in place and... Right. That over the next couple of yeah, and that it even reinforces the argument that Peter McVerry was making. Look, mm-hmm. do all these things. All these things are welcome, but yes. while you're doing them, don't Leave force people. people in the yeah. yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you, Kate. Appreciate it. Oh wait, one eight ninety six. 9696. PJ, it's an easy one for Simon Coveney and the politicians to say that the rental issues are because landlords are leaving the market. Sure, when they leave, their properties are bought and maybe re-rented by other landlords. So that's not the problem. The problem is there are way too many people in this country and not enough homes to house them. It's been a free-for-all for years and the government has done nothing. I'm all for integration, all for welcoming people in but Irish people are suffering because the government has not had the right border controls in place for years. To blame the landlords leaving the market is rubbish. Only thing I'd say to that, and you are perfectly entitled to that point of view, only thing I'd say is we had a housing crisis and a rental crisis and a shortage of places to live before one Ukrainian, which I'm assuming that's what you're referring to, or one asylum seeker uh, set foot in the place. We had problems. Darlin Cove says, will he and his cronies open the door of his house to people without a home because of the actions of the government? I may have read somewhere. I could be entirely wrong here. But I know the minister now lives in Cove. And I may be wrong, but I think I read that he and his family have taken in some Ukrainians. I, I, I believe that is the case. Finbar, he said in his speech, there'd been a lack of housing for 20 years. They've been in power for most of those 20. And if you take Fianna Fáil into account, the present ministers have been there all the time. Uh, Councillor McNugent reminds us of a a newspaper article from a few years ago where housing minister, the then housing minister, bets his career on a promise to end homelessness. I, I bet that would go down into the list of things he wished he hadn't said. PJ Finnegal caused the housing homeless situation in the first place. Ten years in power, that's one of the reasons for the poor results in the last election, along with the neglect of the health service. It's time for them to go. They keep saying it's temporary. So was UCC, US, USC. Paul, I dare you to ask Simon, even though they won the government vote, how much of the public vote uh, has the quote from Fianna Fáil deputy keeping the eviction? Oh yeah, this was this was um, Barry Cowan seems to have landed himself in some sticky sticky toffee uh, over a comment he made yesterday. And look, make of it what you will. I didn't hear it in the context of the full debate, but I did hear the clip being played back afterwards, and I thought it's kind of typical of the Cowans. They 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 they, they just say what's to be said, and they don't really think about the consequences. What he said was, he said, keeping the eviction ban, this is Barry Cowan now, brother of Brian Cowan, the previous Taoiseach. Barry Cowan said, keeping the eviction ban was like giving sweets to children. Uh, It's grand for a while, but then you see the consequences later. Uh, It has decimated the Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil vote for the next general election. 
and further cemented votes for Sinn Féin. Well, that's, that's, that's your view, Paul. The opinion polls, if you were to run an election, a snap election first thing in the morning, I think the opinion polls would throw up an even bigger mess in terms of numbers than we were faced with in 2020. We've had an email, I think. Is it an email? Yes, it came in to us from a landlord just to put their point of view. And I'll read that next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Cork's 96 FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie. Not going to stay with this all morning. Happy to come back to it if you want to come back to it. There's other stuff to do. I want you to think about something for a minute. I'll come to it in a while. Has politeness gone out the window on public transport. Would you, if you're on a bus or a train or if you're in Dublin on the Lewis or wherever you are and someone gets on who's got difficulty with their mobility or a pregnant lady gets on, would you offer your seat to them? It was an old sort of politeness. We were all taught to do it. And I'll be talking in a minute to Bailey, our Bailey from 96FM, who believes it has gone out the window. 0818 96 96 96. Now this came in to us from a landlord. We have their details. They just asked us not to use their name in the context of the negativity out there towards landlords. It says, I got a property tax bill during the week. I have a house with three self-contained units. I always paid one property tax because it's one property. It's one single entity. Now they want three property taxes and this will cost me extra the way they've done it. They also sent a very nasty letter demanding payment or threatening to attach to my employer and my wages. I feel as if something has changed in Ireland about owning property and it's not about helping people get housing either because we used to be able to house people without enforcing measures like this. I also feel these new measures are not going to solve the problem for the most part. We're now getting very stressful in inspections they're no longer carried out by the local authority, but rather by outsourced companies. And they send people from other countries. Now, look, no disrespect to them, but they've no local knowledge. Sometimes that's irrelevant, but other times it can lead to farcical situations when you get asked multiple questions about why things are being done a certain way. If they're not from around here, or even not from Ireland, they should surely have some way of getting local knowledge so they can carry out their inspections effectively and efficiently. It's an interesting point. But here we come to the key element of this email. If something isn't done about the way things are, I will be selling up. And I know about 60 more landlords are all thinking the same way. We don't like this government, but we fear a change of government even more. We worry that a new government will somehow find a way to prevent the sale of property by landlords pending some kind of legislation and new regulations. And I can tell you now, PJ, there is a mass exodus coming 
from the market. Personally, he says, I had my first mortgage when I was 22. I've put a lot of hard work into this. My family have been renting since the 1960s. Currently, I house 14 people. I know Michal Martin personally. I asked him, what could I do? Where all this was going? I got no response. Somebody told me, try Michael Healy Ray. This is interesting now, because Michael Healy Ray is one of the biggest landlords in the Dáil. And to be fair to the man, has a pretty good reputation as a decent landlord. That, that must be said. But anyway, that's a by the way. Somebody told me to try Michael Healy Ray, even though it's the wrong constituency. I don't know him from Adam, even though I have distant relatives in Kerry. Who, who hasn't? I left a message asking if I could speak with him. I got a call back at quarter to eight in the morning the next day. This government is losing the confidence of the private rented sector. We feel we're not at the table and that a decision has been made to use our assets to solve problems that are not of our making, but of the government's making. As I said, we have that individual's details. Make of the what you will. 0818 96 96 96. PJ, there were housing issues before the influx, as you rightly said, which was all the more reason why they should have had stricter border controls. That's from Bernie. It's a point, Bernie. I, I have myself said here, and I have been accused of being racist because of it, but I don't think so. And I stand over it. On mornings that I walk into work, or take the bus and walk across town into work, rather, I always see the people sleeping in the doorways. And I've talked over the years to people sleeping in cars. Um, and, you know, you get very upset at the standard of tip or doorway or car. You, 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 we don't want anybody sleeping in a car or in a doorway. And during the last few months, I remember one or two times where the cabinet, half of them met one night incorporeally, which means on the phone, like a WhatsApp, like, and another night there was two or three of them making statements like they were going out of business. When some of the people coming into Ireland were left sleeping in the streets, they shouldn't have been, by the way. Some of the Ukrainians had to sleep in the airport. And some people coming in for asylum had to sleep in the airport or were sleeping rough in, in parts of Dublin. And I thought some senior politicians would lose their reason over it. It started out quickly and there was big packages in the news and all that. And yet I had poor old John on the phone who's sleeping in his car or poor old Mary who's couch surfing and I walk up past people in the morning and one of them one, of them one morning even knew me. How are you PJ? And he waved to me from the door of Debenham's poor devil. Um... And I often wondered where was their cabinet meeting? Where was their origin statement issue in the middle of the night? And I don't think that makes me a racist for thinking that. That just makes me want to balance things out. <clears throat> anyway, I'll come back to this uh, if you wish to do so. So has politeness, chivalry, whatever you call it, common decency, gone out the door? Bailey, Bailey Olive from The Score uh, with Trevor on Sundays. And Bailey... 
How far along are you now in the pregnancy, girl? Good morning. Good morning. I'm I'm just approaching the halfway mark now, so about five months. You're going well? All well. Um, I was on a few weeks ago about the caravan situation and anti-sickness, but luckily now we've kind of gotten over the worst of that, so plain sailing from now on, hopefully. Great. You were up in Dublin twice and you got the Lewis, and, and that's what prompted this call to us. Yeah, so... As you said there, I was up twice in the last, not even a week, it was like five days. And trains, perfect, you know, you book your seat, you're fine, no problems. But getting the Lewis from Houston Station through Dublin City. Now, I don't have a problem with the Lewis. The Lewis is great. They have a great public transport system in Dublin. Yeah, fabulous there at the train station, just walk straight on either direction. It's brilliant, like. Yeah, and you're never waiting more than three or four minutes. There's one always coming. The problem, and I really don't want to say it's a problem because, you know, some people might think, oh, you know, that's fine. Or I've never experienced that. But the problem I encountered was I'm now at the stage where I'm visibly pregnant. Mm-hmm. I don't by any means feel entitled to a seat because I'm not so far gone that I can't stand. But nobody seems to offer seats to pregnant women anymore. And they're labelled. You see them labelled on buses and Lewis's and trains priority seating yeah nobody even batted an eye yeah and I was standing there like kind of looking at my partner and I was like do you think like somebody even asked me do I want the seat and it was a really really like we were up Monday for the Ireland and France game so town was packed chocolate block packed yeah everywhere you went crowds and I was I'm anxious the best of days in Dublin it puts me on edge and this was I was I was shielding my bump because I thought if somebody knocks into me, I'm going to have a banger. That's the worry, isn't it? Like, it's not that you, like you said yourself, you're fit and strong. You don't actually need to sit down. Your fear is on a crowded tram or a crowded bus, you'll get bumped. Yeah, that's it, exactly. I was just constantly, kind of, and people are moving then at every stop. There's people getting on and off and you don't know where to go. You don't know where to look. You don't know where to stand. And I just found myself in a situation where I said to my partner, I said, later, when we're going to the match, I said, can we get a taxi? Because I don't think I can do this again. Yeah. I was so anxious. And I knew, you know, you know, people can hear conversations and I knew people could hear me talking to him. And still nobody even said, look, do you want to sit down there? Now we were getting off in two or three stops anyway. Yeah. But it's just the whole... Like if I, if it was me, if I was sitting down and I saw an elderly person or a pregnant lady getting on, I would offer them the seat without even thinking about it. They may well turn it down, but you've offered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember being always as a, as a young lad being taught it was good behaviour. If someone comes on, like an old older person or a person on a walking stick or a crutch or a, a pregnant lady, just just offer the seat. They might not take it. Just just offer it. It's second nature to. Or if I'm on a bus and it's a crowded bus and a seat becomes free, I'll I'll hold back because I know that someone needs that seat more than I do. Do you think that is gone in society a little bit? I do. Unfortunately, I really do. And I was only comparing it to, so this is my second pregnancy. My first one, we were living in Manchester at the time and the politeness of people is, it's gone. People don't hold doors anymore. You know, we were getting in and out of places and people are just coming straight at you. Hell for leather. They don't care where you're going. They want to get to where they're going. And I'm jumping out of the way 
five months pregnant and nobody's even thinking about, oh, geez, that lady's pregnant. I need to watch her and going. Yeah, it's a, it's a talking point, Bill. Even on the bus, and I take the bus into to the office a few mornings there, particularly when the weather is good. And if the bus is quiet, the bus is quiet. But if the bus is busy, it's only common courtesy to let someone who needs it more than you have the seat. Yeah, I would think so. All right. You don't take the bus much here in Cork, but you're wondering, is it the same locally? Is it the same on local trains and all that? Yeah, I mean, the extent of the bus I kind of get now at the moment is park and ride. I, you know, I think everyone knows the parking situation in the city centre. So I would always be a parking ride person and there, those buses are usually quiet. You don't ever, I don't think, if ever, you hear a story of anyone having to stand on the parking ride mm. bus. So I can't really comment on what it's like in Cork at the moment. Maybe somebody else can. Yeah. But it's just something I observed over the last couple of days after being up there twice. It's just, it's gone. People really, they don't really care anymore. There possibly is someone listening to us right now who's in a similar position to you and has experienced something here in, in town. Come here, did the hyperemesis sort itself out? It did, yeah. And one comment I'll say about it was when I was on with you the last time, the refill of the prescription. Yeah. It is a nightmare. Really? I had to contact my GP, let her know. The four weeks are up. She said, I'll send a letter to the central appointments unit in CUMH hmm. and they'll get on to you. I said, that's fine. I waited about a week. Now, I was smart in the fact that I knew my prescription was coming to an end, so I got in contact in advance. I didn't wait until it was gone. And I was lucky I did that because I waited about a week for CUMH to get on to me. Hmm. They gave me an appointment to go up. And you go through the whole process again. They have so you, to you couldn't you. just get the prescription rolled over? No. I waited, went into the office, and they do the whole assessment all over again. All your details. Oh, that's a bit silly. And then, same story again. I have to go back to the chemist, give them the prescription. They have to go through all the details again. It's not like a regular prescription where you can ring your GP and say, can you send that through to the chemist for me, please? Yeah. As I often said before, Bailey, if a man had had to have the first child, there would never have been a second. Yeah, I would believe it now Now that I'm having the second and I've said it to my partner, this could very well be the last. <laughs> Look after yourself, girl. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, Bailey. Yeah, Tony says I've often seen on the media, or been on the media rather, giving out about students. But I have to say the one place you will see people giving up seats on buses is on the UCC and MTU routes. They're brought up right. They keep good manners. It's something that happens after college that these manners seem to disappear. But they're excellent, our students, for doing that. Just on the back of what Bailey was saying there, do you think politeness has gone on buses? Would you give up your seat to a pregnant lady or indeed to anybody with mobility issues? Would you be inclined to give up your seat or has that gone completely out the window? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM There's a lot of people would be critical of the guards and I imagine it's a tough life being a guard I wouldn't be a guard tomorrow for all the money in Ireland you couldn't pay me 
to be a guard. And if any one of my children wanted to go into the guard, they'd say, are you crazy? And that comes from the son of a guard. Uh, I would just say, no, are you mad? Are you absolutely crazy wanting to go into it? But then again, some people are really happy with the guards. And uh, one such person is Ricardo. Ricardo, you're, you, you took to Facebook after this. You're a delivery driver uh, working around Mitchellstown. And, and you were on a delivery, is that right? Morning to you. Hi, PJ. Uh, How are you? Very good. You were out on a delivery. Yes. I've been uh, in Ireland for about three years. I came uh, precisely in the middle uh, of the pandemic. Uh, In Portugal, I had my my own bar. And then, as you know, everything uh, was closed by pandemic. Yeah. Then I have people here that uh, invite me to try to work uh, here in Ireland. My degree is in uh, IT, okay. which I have more than 10 years of experience in customer support. So I thought, why not? Yeah. Um, and I came to try to get uh, into uh, Google, Amazon, uh, or Apple. Uh, and yes, I know I need to improve my English a lot, but uh, I won't give up. Sounds good to me, though. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> For now, I'm working in a restaurant company uh, as a driver uh, delivering food uh, to the locals. Yes. One of these days, uh, I was making my last delivery to a customer. When close to the address, a completely drunk individual entered my car and sat on top of the passenger seat where I immediately asked, Mister, what are you doing? Please get out of my car. I'm uh, I'm at working. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he ended up leaving. I uh, immediately called to the Mitchellstown Garda. On the phone, I was answered by a guard was super friendly and just told me to wait for the guarder to come to to my car and help me help me make me delivery. Very kind. This guard came in his guard vehicle uh, behind me. And when we got close to the place, uh, I made a delivery. And then uh, the guard asked me if I recognized him be- between two individuals who we are there in the street. The person who'd gotten into the car, yeah. He asked me if he, uh, I recognize uh, uh, if he's uh, one of the uh, both. And then... I, I don't recognize uh, at the first, but uh, we try to we drive a little further. Yes. And then I stopped because I recognize the individual, and I said to the guard, "Is definitely him." Okay, so you picked him out. Yeah, yeah. The guard asked asked him uh, why he, he did that to me, and he told him right away that he was under arrest. Okay. Uh, then he came to me and told me not to worry and that if uh, he needed me, he told me, called me because he, he already had uh, my number. Yeah. Uh, I thanking him a lot because he was really quick and professional uh, in helping. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, BJ, as a citizen, I felt protected and I think it is important to thank these good professionals for their good work. That's fantastic. The guard was interested enough to say to you, look, can we find him? He found him. He arrested him. Sure, he couldn't have done more for you. That was brilliant. 
yeah, yeah, perfect. And, and I know that you wanted to thank the guards for that. Of course. It's not easy work, so they they have a very stress in every day. I, I Special think. job to do, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it is very important to recognize that uh, that things. For me, it's very important, I think. So I wrote uh, on Facebook because I'm very grateful for, for, for this. That's very kind of you, and it's it's right to point out the good job done. You like it here, do you, Ricardo? Yeah, yeah, I like it. Living in Ireland, I, I feel safe and have a good quality of life. Uh, I just don't like the weather. <laughs> you, you can't have uh, everything. <laughs> <laughs> You're not Only wrong, then. my friend. And then I hope to improve my English and then join a customer service company as I have many years of uh, experience. That's what I love to do. So I will try. Well, I must compliment you on your English because taking a call like this when English isn't your first language is a brave thing to do and well done and thank you for talking to me today thank you so much and uh, I, I I did my best you did great I wish you luck for the future Ricardo thanks a million I appreciate a lot Obrigado mi amigo thank you Ricardo what a lovely fella what a lovely guy it's great to hear from lovely people like that join the conversation this is the opinion line with the Cork City Marathon take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM the minds are live Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96 FM. Uh, some stuff coming in about what Bailey was saying about the lack of politeness or the disappearance of politeness on buses. Very unusual. Well, I wouldn't say it's an unusual reason. It's a reason I wasn't expecting. Um, about why somebody might not give up their seat to a woman who was pregnant. Uh, why they might not give up their seat. I'll, I'll hold that one over for a little while. A few more response. Also, someone came back on what Bailey was saying about Carrie Ban um, to maybe tell her to check because not everyone's going through that difficulty with their prescriptions. Come back to all of that. 0818-969696. Also, later this hour, or maybe, well, definitely before we quit at 12, coming back to this treasure, uh, did exactly last night what I said we'd be doing. Myself and uh, Queen Bee sat down with an iPad and YouTube, and we just sat and laughed and drank our tears for, for maybe half an hour, just watching this genius at work. Welcome to Blind Dice. More about that in a little while. But first, I brought this up with uh, Minister Simon Coveney when he was on with me in the past hour because he's the immediate past Defence Force Minister and he was the minister, to give him credit where it's due, who started the ball rolling on what we now call the Women of Honour report. He was the minister who called for all of this to be investigated. The chief of staff is in the papers this morning saying that he never knew any of this was going on. 
Which look, Mr. Tansy, that is his name, he's entitled to say that. It's it's a hard one to credit that the Chief of Staff of the Defence Forces wouldn't know what was going on in the Defence Forces under his or her nose. But look, it it is what it is. But one of the women of honour is Honour Murphy, who is a former officer in the Irish Navy, and I'm delighted to say she, she joins me now. Honour, good morning. You, 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 a statutory inquiry, absolutely necessary following the publication of the report. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thank you for having me on. Delighted. Um, absolutely. The statutory inquiry is, is what we need to move on now. Yeah. I read over the report. Um, I won't say I've gone through every page of it in detail. There's a hundred and odd pages. But I'd be thinking there's a lot of stuff in there that should be going to the guards. Yeah, and I would agree. A lot of it is criminal. Um, and and what went on is, is absolutely astounding and shocking. And the public and, and many more are shocked. Unfortunately, we're not that shocked. Yeah. Someone said yesterday, shocked, but not entirely surprised. Yeah, yeah. We're the same, especially since we our documentary a year and a half ago. Yes, we have had so Katie. many people come forward, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stunning work by, by Katie Hannon, whom I know for many years. Super, 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 super work. So yeah, this report can't be left really gather dust, can it, Honor? Absolutely not. No, we have to get moving. We're talking days if possible, you know. Um, I know probably not the reality of it, but yeah, no, we have to get moving. We have to get started. Mm-hmm. Former Minister Coveney said that this morning. We need a statutory inquiry. We need it set up. It needs to be able to compel people too, because too many inquiries in this country, Honour, I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, you'd, you'd be asked to go, and I'm not going to that. You need to be able to compel people and compel yeah. documents and compel evidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the scary thing is this review was absolutely voluntary. You didn't, no one was made go in there. Yeah. So if that's what comes out of a report, a voluntary based report, what is going to come out of an inquiry? That's a, a very, very good point and one I had forgotten that participation in this scoping exercise, for want of a better term, was entirely voluntary. Yeah. And if that comes out of a voluntary one, yeah. Um, that it's all there's some terrible things in there, like the sexual harassment, misconduct, bullying, discrimination, and and that it continues almost up to up to date, and that it's not a safe working environment. Now stop on that one for a second. Like we have law honor dating from two thousand and five. It's it's it's. Mm-hmm legislatively crucial to provide everybody with a safe working environment. Yeah, and, and every poster says the same in, in the Defence Forces. There's posters everywhere, dignity in the workplace. But the reality is very different, you know. Mm. You, you took part in the documentary initially under a different name. Now you're all speaking out under, your own, under your own names. Since you took part... And since people know who you are, you're retired now a number of years, but have have colleagues past and present come to you with their own stories? They have, absolutely, yeah. What, what kind yeah. of things um, do you hear, Honour? Oh, well, a lot of what's in the report, um, PJ, um, and more, 
and more. And even yesterday, just I got a phone call yesterday from someone and I'm not right since. Really? Um, yeah. Somebody yeah. that it's you know? Just, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and telling me about something that happened. And I think it would turn people's stomachs. So it's just horrific, horrific. Might I ask, and again, is this as I somebody, said, like what? Might I ask, is this somebody Sorry. who's still serving? No, no. Okay, okay. And you say horrific. And it was a long time ago, but but still, that doesn't matter. Yeah. When you, and it's reported in a number of newspapers this morning, when you hear the Chief of Staff, um, Mr Clancy, saying he had no idea, how do you feel about that? I I think this is why the inquiry needs to go ahead because we will see if that's true and I'm sure everything will come out in the end who knew what and who covered up what and that's that's the way I think about it you know if he did if he didn't see anything that's fair enough it's hard to believe a lot of people in in hierarchy positions didn't know a lot of what was going on you know when you spoke out first uh, in in 2021 did you ever think we'd come to this where the report is on the table, we can read it, it's horrifying. Did you ever think we'd get that far? I didn't, I didn't, uh, to be honest. I I am, I suppose when we spoke out first, I, I couldn't believe the reaction we got at that time um, and, and the public support that we got at that time was, was overwhelming and, and amazing. Um, and then 18 months later, I, I couldn't believe this week we are where we are, to be honest. I, I remember sitting listening to that documentary uh, in my car. I was driving and I, as I, I know Katie since she was working in the newspapers locally. So I have great respect for her and I had to pull the car in. I couldn't actually drive. I couldn't concentrate under my driving. I had to pull in and I went, my Jesus it was a, it was kind of what they call a sweet Jesus moment when you're listening to this. Yeah. And now it's come to this report yeah. on the table. This cannot be allowed to stop here, Honor. No, absolutely not. And I, and I think, you know, the public reaction even to it now and this week and everything, you know, I don't think it's going, no, no one is going to let it sit on a table. Mm. Lastly, we, we're a military city. And we have, as you well know, we have a massive respect for our military here in Cork. We have the headquarters of the Naval Service. We have Collins's barracks. Traditionally, the connection in Cork and the military is so strong. And the respect for our military locally is so strong. And I expect it continues to be. You would say, would you not, yeah. this is not everybody in the military. This is not everybody that pulled Absolutely. down the bull's wool and the boots. No, no. Absolutely. Oh my God. Thank you for bringing that up, actually, because I, I do want to, to people to recognize that I have so many good friends in there, male, female, you know, I've so many people that supported me all, all the way through my career that have been my friends. And no, there is just some really bad eggs mm. in there that can ruin a lot of people's lives as they, as they go through their career and ruin other people's careers, lives. It sounds to me like we've lost a lot of good people over this, yourself included, I suspect. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's and 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 young people who are just starting out and they had great potential and and they just can't take anymore. You know, people who would have been great soldiers, great naval personnel, just left. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's sad. It is sad. Here's hoping that the next chapter comes quickly, like you said. It must come, but so quickly. It must It must come quickly. Um, thank you for your service. I don't think it's said enough to people who, who served in, in our forces, Honor Murphy, and appreciate your taking part in, in that documentary and being able to speak with me today. Thank you. Thank you, PJ, and thank you for the time. Cheers. Yeah. 0818969696 there is no way that this can be um, left to rot or to fester or to gather a morsel of dust on one single shelf. Sadly and I hope I'm wrong I'm a bit too long in the tooth now for optimism <laughs> but I hope I'm wrong. I hope that something will be done about it I hope that the guards will be brought in. Just reading the report, browsing the report, skimming over the report and what's been written about it in the newspapers. There's many occasions where the guards need to be involved in in the response to this. And and yeah, I know if you actually if you're interested in reading political books, um there's a, there's a book you should read. It's quite old now. So it refers to a slightly different makeup of the Eructus. But one of the best political books I've ever read was written actually by the aforementioned Katie Hannon. Katie Hannon. It's called The Naked Politician. It's a wonderful, wonderful look at how Irish politics works uh, or doesn't work. Um, so, and, and that's a super piece of work, the documentary leading to the report, leading to what's on our table now. Thank you, Orla. 0818969696. Kate says these are all people's husbands and wives and lovers. If people knew it was going on or suspected it was going on, they should take steps to get it sorted. 0818969696. Back to the buses and being rude on the bus next. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. So, Bailey from The Score. Sunday afternoons, 2 to 6 with Trevor on Cork's 96 FM. Bailey was on the Lewis twice in the last week in Dublin. She's five months pregnant. She was saying that she was surprised the number of people who just saw her standing there visibly pregnant and never offered her a seat on the Lewis. Now, she said she doesn't actually need the seat. She's perfectly fit and healthy and well able to stand up for herself. Uh, But she'd be a fearful on a crowded tram or crowded bus that she'd get a bump in the bump and you know yourself Um, and she said she doesn't travel too much on the buses around Cork but she's wondering if it's the case that the old fashioned politeness that we were all taught is it gone? Do people not give up their seats now for someone who's visibly pregnant or indeed has mobility issues? Just put it out there Uh, Orla Hi Orla Hi PJ, good morning, how are you? Good, you were listening to Bailey. I was indeed. What do you I'm think? originally a dub and didn't learn how to drive until I came to Cork because I needed to. Um, and any time I was on a bus in Dublin, I always gave up my seat. Like I'm an 80s baby 
and I was told to respect my elders, respect the people with disabilities and give up my seat. Even through college down here in Cork, I was doing the same. Um, now that I have a disabled child, I rarely get a bus. But when I do, I either have him with me or his service dog. Because of the do- because of having the dog on the bus, I need the disabil- the seat that is there's space for the dog to sit in front of me. Do they let the dog on the bus, Orla? Yeah. Okay, good. Because he's a service dog. Yeah, good. Um, and I've often had I've often given up my seat, even though I don't have to when I have the dog or Michael. I still do it because they need to see it more than I do. And I stand beside Michael or by the dog. Mm-hmm. And I was on a bus there, I'd say about three or four weeks ago, going into the city. And I brought, had the dog with me. I gave up my seat to someone else. There was a bunch of teens in school uniform that were taking up seats downstairs. And I said, lads get up off your seats and give this... There was a group of older people after getting on the bus. I says, give up your seats and let them sit down. Yeah. And I says, you can easily go upstairs. I can't with the dog. I didn't mind standing. Like, there was a group of about 10, maybe 15 uh, older people getting on the bus. And they looked at me and they were like, why should I give up my seat? And I was like, I'm just after giving up the seat. So you should have enough respect for your elders. Imagine if it was your grandparent. Yeah. Give up your seat. They're like, oh, suppose so. And then they went upstairs laughing like. Yeah. You're, the, you're the a brave woman gone. to take them on. I wouldn't I wouldn't take them on now if I wasn't on my own. Yeah. Or if I was on my own. But I had the I had the dog with me. So like I kind of felt safe enough but I believe that everyone has the right like I believe in rights of people. Mm-hmm. And Older people have a right to have a seat on the bus. They cannot stand and hold a bar. Mm. What if they fell? They'd end up in hospital waiting hours to be seen. Like it's it's yeah. it's common sense. Yeah, I and mean, there, there isn't much common sense around these days anymore. No, I would take the bus on an average week, two or three times, either to work or to town or or wherever. And I try to take the bus when it's quiet because I don't like crowded buses. But yeah. but I'd have no problem if someone arrived in now, say someone like Bailey, visibly visibly pregnant. I said, "Do you want to sit there?" You know, and maybe they don't. Fine. Yeah. But I was taught be nice. In fact, when I was a young fella getting the bus home from school, there was one conductor on the old number ten, and if you didn't do it, he'd lacerate you. <laughs> He'd probably kick it off the bus. Yeah, yeah, well, he wouldn't quite do that. But he'd say, up, you, you lazy article. Let that yeah. woman sit down. Do you know? Yeah. yeah you know. It's crazy. Like, the, uh, like I'm a youth, I'm a youth and community worker, and like I've often brought kids into the city to go to events and stuff, and they would have enough respect for me that I wouldn't even have to ask them to get up off their seat. Yeah. I'd get up, they'd follow me. Mm-hmm. Like. <clears throat> I know teenagers are in school right now, but if they're listening later on or whatever, get up off your seats and give the seats to somebody else who needs it. Great advantage with the dog, and I know the dogs are they're probably as gentle as the day is long, but <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine saying to one of them, do you want to do it for me, or do you want to do it for him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Orla, thanks. Oh, wait, my best to Michael. Oh, wait, oh, wait one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. 96 uh, PJ, politeness may not be what it was, but I think in general it's fairly good, says Ian. 
Um, Sabrina, this is interesting. Sabrina says, I think people are afraid to offer a pregnant woman a seat in case they offend a woman who mightn't actually be pregnant. That's from Sabrina. And along similar lines, this is Emma. My brother-in-law asked a work colleague when she was due and she said, I had my baby seven months ago. Sure, he was mortified. I have the fear giving up my seat to pregnant women or women who look pregnant just in case they're not expecting. Paddy says politeness on buses is gone. And another thing that annoys me on the bus is people that sit on the outside seat and plonk their bag on the inside seat when the bus is full. Yeah, that's kind of, I'm sitting here and I don't want you sitting down next to me, so go away. Now, I have to say, Paddy, I'm not a fan of sharing seats. I would much prefer a seat on my own. I'm, I'm going to Kerry at the weekend. I'm going down on the bus for a few beers with me, with me mate on Saturday night and I'm going down on the bus and I'm hoping against hope and my fingers and toes are already crossed that I can get a seat to myself on the bus down. I just, because I don't like, you know, to, but that is what it is. PJ, a friend of mine offered a seat to a lady on a bus in Dublin and she attacked him for being a chauvinist. You can't win. I know. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I told you what myself and the Queen Bee were going to do last night, and we ended up doing it. And we sat down in the kitchen with the iPad and a cuppa, and we started calling up videos. There are hundreds of them, thousands of them, in fact, videos of Paul O'Grady. Like how wonderful was he? How absolutely, incredibly talented and brilliant was he. Uh, like One of the things he did, and he and Scylla Black were very, very close friends. In fact, he, he did the eulogy at her funeral, and that's worth watching, believe it or not. That is worth watching, the eulogy at her funeral. But he brought back something that when Scylla packed it in, people thought it could never be done. Welcome to Blind Date. Oh, don't stamp your face, it's not safe. <laughs> I tell you what, I'm learning a lot about dating since I've been doing this show now. Like, and what you should say and what you shouldn't say. And I've got some advice for the ladies in the audience and at home. Never ask your partner if you're getting ready to go out, does my bum look big in this? <laughs> because you'll never get a truthful answer. Do you honestly think he's going to say, yeah, it looks massive? <laughs> Don't turn around in an enclosed space because you'll take the world down. <laughs> you can show Avatar on that in widescreen. <laughs> They're just going to say, yeah, it looks lovely. Yeah, because they've got the coast on, they want to get in the pub, don't they? <laughs> See, the world's coming out there. Yes, we've got three young offenders operating this. <laughs> That's it, move yourselves or you'll be back in Borsal before you can say Judge Judy. Do you hear me? <laughs> Glenn Williamson and I spoke before. Glenn, you were on that show. You were one of the ones picking a date. I don't remember how it went for you, though. Morning. Morning, PJ. I was. <laughs> Back in 2018, I think. Yeah. What was he like? Because we were massive fans, myself and the Queen Bee. And to meet him like you would obviously have done would have been a dream. What was he like? Yeah, it, like, it was incredible. So my first impression of Paul was I was backstage and I was obviously very nervous to go on this show because it was the first thing I'd done like that. And him being the actual presenter of the show 
the busiest person there still took the time out of his day to come over and talk to me, make a joke. No cameras on him now, nothing. And he was still the exact same man that he was on the show. Mm. So funny, down to earth, charming, cared about me, wanted to make sure I was calm and, and I could bring out my own personality. He was just like, be yourself, all this. But he still took time out of his day to do that, which yeah. I thought was amazing, considering he was busier than anyone. They were pulling him at all angles. Yeah. Like, when he spoke up in comedy, particularly as Lily, like, Lily was hard-nosed, like. She had a tongue of pure <laughs> acid and spice held together with bitchery. But people always said, Paul was such a gentle, kind man to me. Yeah, he's very soft-spoken, gentle, but... He's smart though. He's very, very cute. No, like I say, you couldn't pull him the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He and he. It was to take over from Scylla was an enormous achievement. Yeah. So like, my mother was a huge fan of Scylla Black at the time. So I remember when this show was out, and I think I got a an email off an agent just to apply, and I was like, sure, look, I'll apply. And then we saw Paul O'Grady was hosting it, and they were big fans of Paul O'Grady as well, and all his different, um, all his different shows, and when he was doing the drag and stuff like that. So. I was like, thank you, we'll, we'll apply there. And um, it was a great time. I had, I had an amazing time, and he made it very, very comfortable for me. And everyone's a big fan of him. Yeah. He was just loved on the set. He was a, he was a national treasure. Remind me again <laughs> yeah. how it went for you. you, you so didn't, I was you, one of he the didn't have to buy a new hat, no? <laughs> he, he didn't in the end, so because, uh, like I said, the, the romance didn't blossom or whatever. But I was one of the pickers, and obviously Paul welcomed me, and I came on, and I had to ask certain questions to the girls. And um, then I picked a really nice girl from called Maya from London, and like obviously it was a it was blind like so I really liked her sense of humour, I liked her accent, and then in the next show then we went on a date so we went horse riding and stuff like that, mm. and uh, just in the end it wasn't for us. Now we're still friends and we still talk on it. Oh really? Yeah, <laughs> I was actually only talking to her a few weeks ago. Um, but sure, like so I made a friend for life there still. Very good. But um, again, Paul just made the whole thing. Seamless. I loved it. I enjoyed it. And if he was to ask me to go on a, any of his other shows, I would be like, "Yeah, no problem, Paul." <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's sad. sad. We, we, did you get a shock when you heard the news? Because I certainly did. I did because he's such a young man. Now I knew he had some health issues still, but he was looking after himself. And mm. um, he, he, he was he, he was quite young. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. He'd gotten At old 67. looking, but he was very very fit. Yeah, he was fit. Yeah. He was fit. So it was a real shame to see it. Yeah, I was so looking forward. We had tickets booked to go see him in Annie in September. And as I said yesterday, I had no interest whatsoever in Annie. I just wanted to see him. Yeah, but I know I, I know that the, the kind of personality Paul is now, that he wouldn't like anyone to be like, oh, this is sad, this is sad. He said he'd want everyone to enjoy and, yeah. and celebrate how amazing he was and how amazing his life was and the impact he's had on people and even on me. So. Yeah, he was all of that. Glenn, thank you very much. Glad to know you're still in contact with, with, with the blind date you had. That's Glenn Williamson who featured on Blind Date with, with Paul O'Grady. There's something you should look up, actually. And you know they talk about British talent and performance talent. And there have been so many greats over the years. If you look back at who there's been, you've got any, any number. But there's a piece that will come up with a bit of searching on YouTube. It's, if you, if you, if you search for uh, Lily Savage, Scylla Black and Barbara Windsor they do a piece on stage the three of them together and the talent on that stage and the comic ability and timing and the singing ability like these people were special 
They were, and the three of them were great friends. Great, great friends. They're all gone now. Sorry, I'm a little bit sad again to think about the fact that we'll never get a chance to see him live, which I was hoping we would do in September. But a treasure lost, an entertainment treasure lost with the passing of Paul O'Grady. I have an old pal, actually, who saw uh, Paul O'Grady as Lily Savage in the very early days when he was perfecting Lily as a character and would stand up, throw on the frock and the makeup in the corner of any given pub that would pay him at the time 30 or 40 quid to perform for half an hour. I have a, a mate who saw him probably in the mid to late 80s doing this randomly when no one knew who he was and he said if those tapes, if there were tapes of those shows ever released, get your hands on them because if you thought Lily was funny on the telly where she had to be toned down quite a lot. Yeah, I know, I know. 0818969696. On Bailey's story, and Orla called us a while ago, I was living abroad when I was pregnant. I used to fly home regularly, visibly pregnant. Not one person would help me with my case on the plane. Fully grown men watching me struggle to get my case into the overhead locker and then trying to get it back down. I'll never forget it. That's from Kira. Not one bit surprised by Bailey, says Mags. A while back, when I was heavily pregnant, I slipped and fell on the way into COMH uh, to attend an appointment. Not one person stopped to ask, was I okay? They just walked around me and treated me as a roundabout. That's from Mags. That's my bit at the end. Uh, PJ, I want to say not all teenagers are disrespectful on the bus. There are some good ones. We were on the bus St. Patrick's Day last year from Blarney to the city. The bus was jammed with people. Two teenagers on the bus, a boy and a girl, they offered their seats to every person who came on and they ended up giving their seat to a mammy and her two kids. That's from Quiva. PJ, I have to praise the people who use the 203 going to Farinry. They're the most considerate I've ever experienced. Should they're the salt of the earth of the north side, why wouldn't they be considerate? Thanks for that. Young and old, Helen, they always offer their seats to people that they think need them. 0818 96 96 96. Have you ever sat into a taxi and gotten a smell? Do you ever get into a dirty taxi and think, oh my God, what have I done? That's Jeannie's experience. I shall talk to her next. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages and we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. So, Jeannie, this happened last week, I think, last Friday. Um, you were on your way to a medical appointment, I believe, and you took a taxi. You normally wouldn't take a taxi. Morning. Good morning, PJ. No, I wouldn't. I'd never get a taxi because I'm a driver. Yeah, yeah. And I have my own car. Yeah. But I was just so tired on Friday. I got the bus up to Cork. 
and I said I'd get a taxi out to my clinic. Now the bus was late, so therefore a taxi was imperative at the time, mm. so that I'd be in time for my clinic appointment. And I know that you have to take the first taxi, we'll say, going down the line, you know? Yeah, they form a queue when you're expected to. They form to, a queue, yeah. yeah. And she was actually, there was a friend of mine on the bus, God love us, she knows that I wouldn't be used to public transport. So she brought me over to the taxi. I need you to bring this woman now out to my appointment. Mm-hmm. And he said, where is that? And I, he said, you know where it is? I said, no, I don't. I know the general area, but I don't know exactly where it is. Because the last time I was out there, I put the GPS on my phone, uh, in my car, yes, and yeah. it brought me to my destination. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we all do that nowadays. I'd say to someone, yes. give me your air code and, and the phone will find you. But if exactly. I had to find it a second time without the air, yeah, go on anyway. So, so anyway, I sat into the taxi and he went, like I was at the bus station, so he turned right. And I said to him, well, why are you going this way? And Model Farm Road is the left well there's lots of traffic I said fine and I got this overpowering smell of stale urine in the car in the car and I thought I'm going to get sick right and next thing I looked across at the back seat and there was oh my god it's like a coating of black dirt on the back seat and I was there and I said oh my god what have I done Mm mm-hmm and did you because report the smell to the driver? I couldn't because he was an older gentleman and he was lovely. Do you know what I mean? And I've been taught to have respect for older people. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he did get me to my destination. Then he was saying, oh, we're on this road now. And I said, I know. I said, I am a driver. He brought me the long way around. Mm. Because I know all the roads he travelled on because I have travelled on all of those. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And, didn't, and you, you were happy enough with the price, like? I was. The price was thirteen euro and the forty cent, and he gave to me for thirteen euro. Mm, that's not too bad from the bus station euro. to Model Farm Road, yeah. actually. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. That's very good, it. actually, Jeannie. But to be honest with you, like the price wasn't an issue. It was to get my, to my appointment on time. Yes. Maybe he's just used to the smell. Doesn't even notice it doesn't notice it, I would say. So. Or maybe the poor misfortune, his last passenger might have soiled the can. You, you wouldn't know, like. Yes, you don't know. But, I mean, you'd see wet, surely, if the last passenger. Mm. But, I mean, that was okay. But what about the film of black dirt that was on the back seat? Yeah. Yeah, there's no excuse for that. Not there's no that. excuse for that. No excuse. And you didn't and feel I mean, like saying it to him, look, this car is a bit dirty, like, you know. You know what? I was there and I was just so relieved to get to my know. appointment. Do you know what I mean? On time. I know. Because the the public transport was late, bus. And I mean, even in the evening, I got I went to the bus station at twenty five past two to get the twenty to three bus. Mm-hmm. The bus never arrived, so we were all standing in this massive queue in the bus station. They're telling us use more public transport. They're telling yes. us leave the car at home. Yet yes. You can't rely went, on the bus? No, no. Oh, I said, after my experience last Friday, I said, this is it. I'm never again using public transport. I'm going to drive. Yeah. And of course, my kids were killing me then. Ma'am, why didn't you tell us and we'd have brought you? Oh, sure, I know. I know. You know now yourself. <laughs> I yeah, said, but, no. But it's a, it's a valid point that you bring up. And maybe listeners will have something to say about it. 
Yes, we're being told just, time and time again, use more public transport. Take the bus, take the train, uh, yeah. take a taxi. The bus yeah. is late, you can't... The taxi is stinking. Yes. Yeah. And then the bus doesn't turn up on the return journey for over half an hour. Yeah. And you're standing in the queue and you don't know what's happening. There's no one telling you there is no bus until... Like, we didn't leave Cork till nearly 20 past three and the bus was supposed to be leaving Cork at 22 three. Yeah, yeah. Why would I use public transport again? In your original message to us, Jeannie, you, you were yeah. wondering, are taxis regulated? That's just yes. it. Taxis are regulated out the wazoo. I've had a queue of taxi drivers on the phone to me here over the years. This regulation and that regulation and the sheer cost of putting a cab on the road now is so high. So you and, and cleanliness you would think would would be part of that. I would never have anyone sitting into my car in the state of that taxi that I took. I would be too embarrassed. Yeah. I'm very fortunate that I have a car. Yeah. I'm very fortunate I can drive. I'm very fortunate I have GPS and I understand all that. But we're being told by the Green Party, use public transport. You won't be using it again after this? Never. Never. No matter what, never again will I use public transport. Janie, have a good day. Thank you very much. You too, okay? Thank you. Bye. I don't know what you think of what she's saying. She says she'll never use public transport again. She had a bad day, in fairness. She had to run a bad luck with it. The taxi was stinking. There was a big stain on the seat opposite. And then the bus didn't show up when she went to get the bus home. Normally she'd drive. I don't know what you think about that. The paper, talking about buses and public transport and the fact that we are going to be using it more, or been told anyway, in years to come we'll have to use it more because we won't be allowed into the, the... The war on the motorist is continuing and we soon won't be allowed into the city. Uh, Owen English got a good piece in the Examiner this morning about changes to these bus corridors and sustainable corridors and all this. Look, they all come under different titles. So let's not bother with that. But um, plans for the two lanes in and out at Boring Manor Road, they seem to have been scrapped and a load of compulsory purchase orders that people were afraid of on Boring Manor Road won't happen now. Also, the Ballyhooley Road and Summer Hill being changes made up there. There will still be parking Sunday as well to Holly Hill. The entire, the entire idea has been scrapped if I'm reading correctly. And there's a new report coming today from the NTA, so we're not quite certain yet, but Owen was reporting in the examiner this morning, Pierce Road is no longer part of the plan. Does that mean, because there was fierce upset earlier in the year, does that mean that um, the cherry trees are safe? that John Spillane's beautiful cherry trees, which should be blossoming any day now, that, um, that they, um, they're safe. Actually, the day we see the cherry tree blossom in the first spring summer day, we must play that song. We must play it. 0818 96 96 96. Tony was on. Tony was listening to me talking to Simon Coveney earlier this morning. We will podcast that interview uh, later. To, to hear what he had to say but I, I t- took his views on housing I didn't fight with him there's no point in fighting with ministers on this kind of thing you just listen to what they have to say and he was talking about landlords and one of the reasons that they lifted 
the eviction ban was to keep landlords in the market. That's his take on it. That's the government's take on it. Others will agree. Some will agree, some will disagree. Tony sent us a voice message. Hey, PJ. You might say to Simon Coveney there that, yeah, what he's saying about uh, that they need landlords in in the market makes perfect sense, right? Nobody's disagreeing with that. But what the government have done now has put people under pressure until they get these landlords back in again. That could take 12 months. Like, he's on there that he was the Minister for Housing. We all know that. He failed at it. Same as every Minister for Housing between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael have done over the last decade or so. Right? There's no point in telling us all what we already know. We know that. The government look at normal people, normal day-to-day people, and they think, in my opinion, they think we're stupid, that we haven't a clue. We're intelligent people. We can see what's going on in the country. We know that the government have a tough job. That's fair enough. But the way that they're doing it is wrong. You can't get rid of the eviction ban and not expect landlords that are wanting to get out of the market, which they probably do, at the, t- at, at the moment with the price of houses and everything. That's why a lot of these landlords are leaving, because they're making a profit. They've had their houses. They've had them rented out over the last... 10 years, they've paid their mortgages on them, now they can sell them and make money. That's why they're doing it. They're not doing it because of an eviction ban. It's as simple as that. And if you want to bring landlords back into the market, then make it more make it more appealing for them to come back into the market. Do you know? But the way they're going about things is wrong. It's completely wrong. Cheers. Tony, thank you. Uh, that's a great way to join our conversation here on any given day. Uh, if you don't have time to take a call or make a call or whatever, and you have more to say than like go into a text message, do us a, a WhatsApp voice message to 083 396 96 96. That's what Tony did. And you were listening to Jeannie about the dirty taxi. Morning. That's right. Good morning. Um, it just ran into my head there. Maybe that elderly gentleman didn't own the taxi. Yeah. That's the way he probably just got it that morning. Oh, oh, possibly. And and I asked her, did did she challenge him on it? And she said she didn't have the heart to. Yeah. So it mightn't have been, he could have been just working for somebody. Yeah. yeah. And it would have been up to whoever owned the car to make sure it was clean. Yeah. What did you think no. what she was saying, though, about to put her off her experience with the taxi and her experience oh, with the bus? Put her off the public transport system. Oh, you can be sure it would, if that is what you're getting into. You know, you don't want to be put put into any dirty vehicles, buses, taxis, anything like that. But on behalf of the driver saying he's an elderly man, it might not be his taxi. That's a fair point. And and today, the men can't open their mouth because they'll say, right, off you go, we can get somebody else to drive it. It's true, it's true. And they would do that. It's true, it's true. And thank you, know? you for that. Quick call, quick no. call, valid point. Thank you very no. much. By the way, if you are coming on air with us, would you turn off your your radio or whatever you use to listen to us, your Alexa or whatever it is, because it, there's a delay. You'll be listening to yourself off the air a few seconds behind. It's just the way the magic works. 0818969696. Thank you, Anne. On housing, this call says, wait and see what happens. There are a lot of people 
saving and saving and they'll make it. A lot of people need their house back too. And there are people who will be in need. But there's too much talk about all of this before anything actually happens. Caller saying, look, wait and see. Listen to all the arguments, but wait and see. It's it's a point. Premier League Live back this weekend on 96fm.ie with Trevor and the team. Saturday from midday, powered by TalkSport. Live coverage of Manchester City against Liverpool. That's a biggie. That's at half twelve. Arsenal versus Leeds, no small fixture either. That's at three. And Chelsea versus Aston Villa, half past five. Three big matches. Premier League Live Online, brought to you by Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You're listening Saturday on the Corks 96 FM app or at 96fm.ie. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Corks 96FM. The lines are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 9696 9696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. That very nice, um, what's the word, convention or practice of, of offering a seat to, to a, a pregnant lady um, for any kind of number of reasons. So come back to it, come back to it, come back to it. 0818 Now, you'll have seen, uh, unless you're blind and living under a stone, you'll have seen that um, the French people at the moment are up in arms over many, many things. The, the bins haven't been collected in, in Paris since about 1956, by the looks of it. Um, there's a war over there, over the retirement age. The president, Mr. Macron, wants to put the retirement age up. Are you waiting for it, lads? Are you waiting for it? He wants to put the retirement age up from 62 to 64. Like, some people here will be 80 before they can retire uh, safely. Um, and air traffic controllers are threatening a load of strikes. And in fact, I think some strikes have already been happening. One thing about the French is up with something they will not put. And no one knows how to go out and take action quite like the French. The trouble is, when it comes to air traffic control, we are the ones who are affected. Um, let me talk to Owen Curry of Air and Travel magazine. French air traffic control strikes affect us all and are likely to affect us across the summer, Owen. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, TJ. It's going to be a long, hot summer, certainly from the French air traffic control point of view. doesn't just affect uh, France. Uh, the big issue, the big bugbear is that it can affect our flights to other places. Uh, and most of us travel to Spain for holidays. Uh, and Barcelona is particularly vulnerable in that little top corner, top where you put the postage stamp on, on Spain. Uh, it's surrounded by France. You have to, to get there from Ireland, you have to pass over France. What is the problem? Is it is it down to the retirement age? Is it one of the other things that's going on? 
The French Air Traffic Control have a long history of uh, belligerence. There's a couple of reasons for it. You know, there are, um, you know, all these industrial relations issues in France tend to be more confrontational, um, liberté, égalité, fraternité than they do in other countries. There is another issue in that there are three large French air traffic control unions. Um, they, they are competing for each other for members, and that usually means they're competing in belligerence. Uh, Marseille has always tended to be the most strike-prone of them and the one that has really dogged European aviation for about 10 years. Uh, What we're seeing recently is that Marseille are causing less of a problem than Paris region, not so much Charles de Gaulle. There's a sort of a a goal by that wider uh, French protest that you alluded to about the pension age. Um, Orly has been badly affected. Very few of the Irish flights from Orly are affected but the people but the biggest airline in Europe by a, by a large margin now is Ryanair and they're particularly agitated by yeah. this they've had to cancel something like 200 flights already uh, 25% of their flights last weekend were delayed uh, Ryanair are moving from having 2,000 flights a day to this, the numbers here are phenomenal 3,000 flights a day as of today uh, they've moved into the summer schedule and they're lo- if you get a delay in a Ryanair aircraft a Ryanair aircraft works hard for a living like Thursday's child uh, Wednesday's child isn't it and um, a Ryanair aircraft will take off and land six times a day so you've got a delay flying to Barcelona from anywhere in Europe, Germany, England, uh, Northern Europe, uh, it's going to knock on to the next three or four flights by that aircraft. Huge headache for Michael O'Leary, and he's been roaring and shouting about it. Well, it seems grossly unfair, doesn't it, that someone wanting to go on from Cork to Alicante, or like you said, Barcelona, for their holidays, they're going from Ireland to Spain. It seems grossly unfair that they should be affected by French air traffic control. This is where the sort of the politics of aviation really impact. Uh, it's very nationalistic. We've 27 different um, air traffic control zones. There's been a since I started covering aviation, there's been an attempt to get them to be covered by one overall aviation zone. As happens where I'm speaking to you now in the in from Boston in the United States, all of the USA is one air traffic control zone. So what um, the French have resisted in because the French government would be as we saw under pressure from the French unions, is resisted allowing any other country do the overflights. There's no safety or technological reasons for not doing this. Italy allows it, Greece allows it, but that's of little use because Italy and Greece aren't overflight countries as far as we are concerned, France is. Mm. So what Ryanair is saying, you could solve this problem with the stroke of a pen, Ursula van der Leyen could, by giving Euro control the authority to handle the overflights over France. They're under higher um, altitude they're not landing and taking off there's no safety issue here but the French are opposed to that Yeah, because in fairness if you're landing in Paris or landing in Marseille or landing in wherever French airport you're going to run into their territory and if there's a strike on but just flying over just does not seem fair that's exactly what uh, I've been hearing at every conference and uh, I did miss the uh, A4 A- Aviation for Europe conference mm. which was on yesterday in Brussels because I'm here in Boston speaking at the Massachusetts uh, Tourism Forum but um, that is what they've been saying for a long time now it, it comes back to um, you know this attitude that we're all pro-European until it comes to something that affects our little corner uh, that seems to be mm. what the French they're 
the French position is at the moment. Yeah. They haven't got a little corner only, a massive country, a massive landmass. And it's it's impacted. It, you know, the the major airline impacted by this is Air France. Um, the second biggest airline impacted by this is Ryanair. Not because they they don't have a huge market share by by the standards of Ryanair in France, but they have a lot of overflights. Yeah, yeah. If we don't solve this issue, it doesn't bode well for the summer. We had a terrible summer last year. We had a terrible summer in 2018. Um, we had weekend strikes which, which pr- cropped up uh, at very short notice. In one case, eight tra- air traffic controllers uh, went on strike and caused 400 flights, uh, Ryanair flights, to be cancelled. Um, you know, the, all that thing of secondary picketing, all those issues. That, you know, um, it, it's not too far back in our industrial relations history either. You know, if you look at reeling in the years and the sort of long strike with no resolution that we used to have in the 60s and 70s. Ireland put in a very complicated industrial relations uh, set of, uh, of machinery then uh, with the LRC and the implementation, National Implementation Group and things like that. France is, is still a, at a level where uh, trade union relations tend to be very belligerent even without the pension age issue which is what's dominating the headlines. Where the pension age um, uh, dispute is going to impact and there's a you know they these guys if you're going to make a case you close down the biggest airline air, airport in the country it's what everybody tries to do when they're they've got a cause they've been trying to close down charles de gaulle charles de gaulle hasn't been it they've attempted to blockade it uh, they've attempted the air traffic control but it's effect, effectively kept running but where air charles de gaulle is really weak at the moment is aviation fuel it's not receiving aviation fuel but airlines are being told, bring your fuel for the return journey. So once we hit a situation where the aviation fuel runs out in Charles de Gaulle, it's going to be even bigger headlines. Oh. Looking forward to the summer, air traffic control, I can be, will be very surprised if we don't have a long, hot summer, as I said in the intro, um, with very short notice strikes. The airline will get you there as a consumer, as a passenger. The airline, it's their duty to get you there, but uh, it causes headaches for passengers Indeed. and headaches for the airline. Lastly, on, and, and Cork Airport launching their summer schedule and Barry Holland was in here a week or two ago with me talking about it. They have a massive schedule. So for people going on holidays out of Cork this summer, and perhaps I'm asking you to do this off the top of your head, but the the familiar destinations that we would have coming out of somewhere like Cork, if I booked for Alicante, Lanzarote, wherever, um, for any part of the Canaries, Spain, the normal holiday areas... Where, what should I be worried about? In ter- what, what destinations should I be concerned about in terms of French air traffic control? Um, there is no the, the Spanish destination. Spain and Italy are both um, vulnerable to um, to Spanish air, to uh, air French air traffic control. It's not something I'd fret about. It tends to be aviation's good at recovering. It's good at when they've a big weather storm or something like that, getting everywhere to where they're supposed to be within a day or two. What um, what will happen is that you will get a text. The way it works is French air traffic control unions say we're going to strike. 
the French air traffic control, the DGAC, say uh, to each airline, this is the percentage of flights you have to reduce and you get an email the night before saying your flight's been cancelled and here are your alternatives, usually a workaround or go back out the following day. And Cork, it's great to see them back in growth. They have five new routes back next year. Mm. We've got Bristol, East Midlands in England, La Rochelle in France and Rome uh, in Rome Fiumicino in Italy and Sevilla in um, Spain. That's a terrific addition to the Cork portfolio. So it's a great, great year for Cork. Don't fret too much about the air, French air traffic control. It's not your problem, it's the airlines. They'll get, they, they will get you there. You have a right to be gotten there. You have a contract with them to get you there. Own, thank you. Uh, Own Corrie, uh, Air and Travel Magazine, and taking our calls from Boston. So it'll be at stupid o'clock in the morning. Oh, thank you very much. 0818-969696. Back to... Uh, the politeness of offering up your seat on a bus or anywhere uh, to a pregnant lady or someone who's elderly or maybe have mobility issues, that kind of thing. At 37 years of age, says this caller, I was offered a shock or offered a seat. Offered a shock. Offered a seat. It was a shock. Uh, You don't say whether you were pregnant or not or looked pregnant or not or had mobility issues. But more often than not, you see them sitting in seats, I take it, teenagers. In 1988, that's not yesterday, in 1988, I was eight months pregnant with twins. They were born two weeks later at £6.4 and £6.11. Whoa! I'm five foot one, so there was absolutely no doubt I was heavily pregnant. My God almighty, you poor woman, you'd have been as white as you were tall. <laughs> I was finding it hard to walk at that stage. Yes. I went to Mass and I was a little bit late, so I had to stand against the wall at the side of the church. 75% of those around could see me struggling. Not one person offered me a seat. I could only stay there for 20 minutes before I had to go. I had to leave a church full of people praying about kindness and charity and completely ignored me says Sarah. Picture that in your mind though. Picture Sarah, 1998, eight months pregnant, five foot one. The twins are born at six foot four, or six pounds, four ounces, and six pounds, 11. You poor, poor woman. Oh, eight, one, eight, 96. You should have had a wheel fitted to yourself back then, so that you could be pushed around. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Join the conversation. This is the opinion line with the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's ninety six FM. Question ten: In what comedy series did Mr Miyagi actor Pat Marisa own a diner? Oh jeez. Oh. Um, uh, happy days. Was it a total guess? A total guess. Yeah. Sometimes out of thin air you get something, don't you? Listen, we've got a career out of it, so. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you've just won €2,000, euro, buddy. Thank you, chaps. It's been great. Well, well, done. Luck, well done. Have a good one. Stacking up the cash. 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 The two grand minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Bye-bye. 96 FM. Getting through a lot today. It's a busy, busy Thursday. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the leaving cert will go ahead 
this year. Of course, it will. COVID uh, behind us now. But it looks, once again, as if the delivery of results will be very tight in terms of time. And that it could be as as quick as a couple of days. So you won't get your results until around the 1st of September. And then you've got college opening on the 3rd of September. That's a very, very tight uh, turnaround. Clodagh Lane is the Cork Regional Officer of the Irish Secondary Schools Students' Union. Clodagh, a couple of days is no turnaround. When I was in school, and it's not yesterday, we got our results generally in about the second or third week in August. And that was tight. So getting it in early September is way too tight. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, it, we, the ISSU, we really acknowledge that this has massive implications for students, especially for the students who are going to Europe through UNICAS or the UK through the UCAS system. Yeah. Um, like it's a very tight turnaround. So because in the UK, the, the secondary schools are, I apologise, the colleges are opening again on the 3rd of September and they actually require results by the end of August. So this means that the students have to individually email their colleges and explain why they don't have the results. Mm. And if they do get the results, the results, the points can be also quite high for the UK as well as here. So that's the 1st of September. That really gives you two days to pack up your life and move to the UK. Um, Unicast have been a lot more flexible um, in the past. Last year, they were really cooperative with us. So we really appreciate that. And we hope to keep moving forward with them on that. So it is quite a lot for, for students, even students in Ireland. Um, if you, with the points being so high, the accommodation is hard to know. So say if you are living in Cork and you have Galway as number one on your CAO and Dublin as number two, it's really hard to know. Like you'll never know what you're going to get yeah. um, until the points come out. And a lot of the deposits for the housing are non-refundable. And not only that, but the housing crisis is really, really hard to find accommodation in the first place. Yeah. So it's and just that, a really difficult situation for everyone. I, I'm thinking if you put your... And going to the UK is one issue, but let's deal with people here at home. Like you put down your... CEO form, couple of different courses, and you're supposed to book accommodation, say, and you don't get your results until the 1st of September, you're meant to be starting a course a week or two later. You're meant to be in accommodation and deposits paid. That's, is it only recently, Clodagh, that it's been September that the results came out? Yeah, so it's actually since COVID that the results have come out to that. It was 2020 were the first results that came out in September. So there's kind of three things that have caused the delay. So obviously in 2020, it was all unknown. But now we're having a massive um, examiner supply issue, as a lot of people are aware of. And we're currently in discussions underway with the appropriate bodies um, just to see how we can modernise this role. Um, we're The department and the SEC, they're currently reviewing the pay and how the examiners are working. So that's the first, that's the main issue. Mm. The second issue is there's divert, deferred examinations that take place in August that are corrected with our, the main scripts. And then finally, there's a new algorithm that was brought in by Minister Foley. So it's the no cliff edge. So it means that, so nobody's results suffer too much in terms of grade inflation. Because as we've seen, like the points have inflated massively since yeah. the, since the, since COVID and the bringing in of the new uh, exams. Yeah. the new fund. So there's that's the three things that are kind of really slowing down the release of the results. So it is quite a stressful time for students. And forgive me, has the Minister given a date for this year? 
as to when they'll be out? I'm not, I'm not, there hasn't been an official date, but it's estimated to be around September, the 1st of September, which is what it was in 2022. Yeah, that's, that's giving people only a couple of days, like, very stressful. Yeah, it's quite stressful, yeah. Because you, you don't, well, correct me if I'm wrong, like, you get your results, let's say you get your results today, you get your first offer, maybe, what, the day after tomorrow? I believe so, yes. You know, and then you've got to get everything sorted. God, that's a very, very tight turnaround, Clodagh. Very, very yeah, tight turnaround. It's very tight. And not only for students who are going to college, but it's also the students who are going into apprenticeships. Um, it's some apprenticeships, it doesn't matter exactly what points you get, but you, they still have to know that you've passed. Yes. So you can't start working on the apprenticeships until the 1st of September. It's the same with the Army cadetships. Um, they're required by points as well. So they've been pushed back in 2020, 2021 and 2022. Um, all the intake, the cadet classes have been pushed back by a month, um, which delays the training even further. And then their commissioning is also pushed out by a month because and, of this. And, and what does the minister say when all of these things are put to her? Look, you're delaying everybody across so many different sectors. What, what do they say in response? They're, well, they're really working hard to try and modernise the role of the state examiner just to alleviate the pressures. They are, We are really trying to work hard with them to come up with solutions, but it is a really, really difficult situation at the moment. Yeah, it is. It is, and uh, it's it's bad enough. It's, what, it's less than 100 days now to the start of, of the leave search. I believe so. I think it's uh, only 10 weeks or something. Something like that. Something like that. Very, All right. Very good. All right, Clodagh, thank you. 0818969696. You're leaving cert in June. I'll work out how many days I will. Uh, you're leaving cert in June. You won't get your results until they're thinking now the 1st or 2nd, maybe of September. And sure, you've got to be right into the maelstrom of college in the first week in September. And you've got army cadetships, apprenticeships, you name it, being delayed by the delayed delivery of the Leaving Cert results. And sure, last year, was the, ju- the Junior Cert results were nearly a Christmas present by the time they came. 0818 96, 96, 96. And then when you get, like I said there to Clodagh, what happens when you ask the minister? What happens when you ask the ministers? We're working very hard with all the stakeholders. Yeah, great. Thanks for nothing. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. So we got this email in um, about wills. You know, they always say that um, wills can be fraught with problems. Where there's a will, there's relatives. That was an old saying. When there was a will, there's... There's, there's relatives, and I don't know, have you got your will made? I Have I got mine? <laughs> don't. My, my solicitor is listening, and he'll go, I told you, you need to make a will. Anyway, if you have a will made, or you haven't got a will made, or if you're wondering what's going to happen with a will, you're interested in this email that we got, um, as you'll appreciate, we have to keep this person's name back for obvious reasons. PJ, I never thought I'd be writing an email like this. I'm reaching my wit's end. I can't be the only one suffering like this, and I can't find anywhere to get any help. After the loss of my last parent, my last surviving parent, things have gotten out of control. It's the age-old story 
of people not being happy with what they've inherited. You hear about this. You hear about family members fighting over wills. I was naive in thinking it would never happen to me. As well as dealing with my grief over the loss of my parent and now being subjected to daily petty acts by unhappy family members. I've never dealt with a will before, so words like probate didn't mean anything to me until now. I inherited a larger percentage of the estate, and this, of course, has upset family members. They're unhappy with their share. My parents did their best. Nobody was left without. But sadly, for some people, enough is never enough. My days are now filled with locking of gates, moving things, small items being taken, locks being removed, fuse boxes being messed with, and lots more. Wow. I've looked for help from solicitors and even from the guards, but no one seems to be able to help me. The acts are too small for any legal action, but they're pushing me to breaking point. My stomach churns every morning just thinking of what might lie ahead for me. There must be some of your listeners who've gone through this and might advise me, and there must be some sort of help. I'd appreciate any advice. The probate process takes an awful long time, and I'm not sure I'm tough enough to withstand this daily abuse for long more. Thanks for your time. If anybody had any helpful ideas, I'd be really appreciative if you could forward them on to me. And I'd also prefer, for obvious reasons, that you didn't use my name. Yes, we can understand that. So, inheritance, will, the whole thing. People not happy with their share. And nasty stuff happening. She talks about the locking of gates. Stuff being moved, taken. Locks being moved. Fuse boxes being messed with. Like That's, that's, that's serious stuff. Alana w- Nolan is a solicitor. Uh, working with Wolf and Company in Skibbereen and specialising in wills and probate and and that kind of thing. I I suspect, Alana, there's not a whole pile you can say about that particular email. But it is disturbing. Good morning. No, unfortunately, um, we do come across these um, situations in probate quite often and um, I've read through the lady's email and it is a very unfortunate situation that she finds herself in but in terms of what a probate practitioner could help her with in this situation it seems to be from the information given that obviously it's a short email and we don't have all the facts yeah. it would seem that there is very little a probate practitioner could assist her with but maybe perhaps given that she's saying that people are entering the premises and removing locks and messing with fuse boxes, etc., that it should be the role of the guardie, perhaps, that she should be engaging with. It is, you know, probate, um, in essence, is a very complicated matter for any individual to be dealing with, that obviously they're dealing with most times, you know, a level of grief and then on top of it they have the complicated probate process that they have to go through. It is a protracted process. There's no point in saying any different and as a result of COVID things in the probate area, the waiting times have they've considerably increased. There's, yeah. it, there is no other way of saying it. And it is very hard for executors and beneficiaries, yeah. which the vast majority of the time are family members, as I said, who are also dealing with the grief of losing their loved one. Mm-hmm. So I can only hope that maybe perhaps this, this lady 
will be in a position to have a good solicitor in her corner. Yeah. Who's an assist her with the probate process? Yeah. Some of what's going on looks like a matter for the guards, though, is what you're saying. It does, unfortunately. We, we, it really we, is. I would imagine that a lot of my listeners have no will because they'll say, Sure, I've nothing to leave to anybody. True, true. And lots of people do. Sometimes it can. Nec- it might necessarily be just a mental block that people have when it comes to going into a solicitor, making an appointment to do their will or to speak about their wishes. This can also be a level of superstition, I suppose, in some people that they believe by making the will that this means that this is it. Mm. But a will is a document that can be changed multiple multiple times. You can change it on a weekly or yearly basis, whatever Mm. your wishes may be, provided you have capacity. No, but what about about that one, Lennon? Like the person who says to me, PJ, I've nothing to give to anybody. What do I want a will for? Well, most people do have assets just because they don't have multi-million assets doesn't right. mean they don't have assets to give and what I would say is that the will speaks from the grave it speaks after their death as to their wishes even if they're fairly small assets that they have they then get to choose by having that will as to who those assets go to Okay, okay. now what are your obligations if you're writing a will particularly with regard to say children so if I have so I have two children am I legally bound to divide everything 50-50? No, not at all. A child doesn't have any entitlement under a mm-hmm. uh, parent's will. So it is up to the parent as to whether or not that child is going to benefit. Oh. They are not automatically entitled to any part of their parent's estate. Oh, I did not know that. I thought you had to divide it. No, not at all. You, you, There is such a thing called a legal right share for a spouse. So that is something that has to be taken into account if okay. you are making a will and you have a spouse they are legally entitled to half of the estate if there aren't children and they're entitled to a third of the estate if there are children also oh, oh, I can I can cut the kids but I can't cut the missus <laughs> exactly 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 so it's you know it is something to be taken into account some children do believe they have an, uh, an entitlement but unfortunately they don't so fortunately or unfortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, but they do not have an automatic entitlement. Yeah. If, for example, someone dies while their house is still effectively owned by the bank by way of a mortgage, can they leave the house? Can they will the house? Most people would have their life cover, which hopefully that would be in place, and that would mean that it would lend itself that the mortgage would be repaid if that is the situation, and of course then the mortgage would be repaid and the property then would be bequeathed to whoever they have decided under the terms of their will. Alana, with inheritance comes tax, that horrible three-letter word. So, the, the tax that my children would have to pay, the tax that my wife would have to pay, the tax that my friend down the road who always bought me a pint on Friday and I want to give him something. How's the tax divvied up? Well, what I would say to people is that I do normally advise most people before they come in for a consultation with me or after the first consultation in relation to their will, if they have relatively significant assets, it is prudent to engage the services of a tax advisor because there are lots of tax reliefs that may be available to them that they haven't considered, such as agricultural relief, if you're talking about farmland, 
business relief, if they have a business in place. There was lots of different relief that are available to people. Mm. And if you are prudent enough to have that proper tax advice in advance of making your will, it can alleviate the burden afterwards yeah. in relation to tax. But my wife and my children are entitled... But your wife won't attract any yeah. tax. But in relation to your children... Currently, they have a threshold of €332,084. Everything above that, they're going to be paying 33% tax. I'll be well short of that anyway. (laughs) So, who knows? Who knows? You could be very lucky in the lottery this weekend and they could end up getting a lot of money. But it is is prudent to have the tax advisor in place. Some people say, but I don't have a very large estate. There's no reason for me to take tax advice. But for the sake of one consultation with the tax advisor in advance of making the will, that could impact how they would divide their assets. Yeah. They may make different decisions based on the tax advice, which could in itself mean that there would be less of a tax burden after the fact. If anybody's unhappy with what they got out of a will, what are the challenging rights? How, can they challenge my will if they're not happy with what I gave them? Well, I suppose it is open to people to obviously challenge will, but it depends on what grounds they're going to challenge it on and whether or not the burden, whether they have satisfied the burden of proof to the court that there were grounds for it, whether they're saying that you didn't have capacity when your will was made or various other um, options open to Mm. them. But I think anybody who's thinking about challenging a will certainly would... Um, need to consider that it is can be a very costly process that yeah. is not necessarily going to be taken from the estate. It may well be a cost order against you, which means that you would have to pay the cost yeah. of taking this application and this is significant burden of proof on the applicant. Think, so it's think, not something to be taken lightly. Think twice. Lastly, in terms of writing a will, two things. Mm-hmm. One, is it ever too early? I know you're going to tell me it's not. No. And what does it cost? Um, on average, it would. It, it, it's quite small. On average, you would be talking a couple of hundred euros plus that for a very simple will. Obviously, if there, if it's more intricate will, that would have to be costed accordingly, um, including tax advice, etc. But your ordinary run-of-the-mill um, will is it's relatively low in the big scheme of things. And you'd be advising anybody, particularly if they have children. Have a chat. 100%. Have a chat with your solicitor. Have a chat with your solicitor. Talk about your wishes, especially if you have children that are minors. It is imperative that you would place guardians in place for them should, heaven forbid, the situation be that they are left without their parents and at least then the guardians would be in place and you would have your wishes noted as to who those people would be who essentially step into your shoes and take care of your children going forward. Alan. Alana, an enlightening conversation, and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Alana Nolan there, um, <clears throat> from Wolf and Company in, in Skibbereen. We all are going to have to think about it, putting a will together for those who will be left behind. I've, I've come through an experience of people dying and leaving no will, and the beneficiaries of that estate, shall we say, it took them forever to get anything. And now there wasn't a huge amount involved. Like, there was the sale of a house and, and some savings and stuff put aside, but like it takes, like, forever if there isn't a will in, involved. And this was without what they'd call a difficult probate. 
you know. Uh, and trust me, you don't want to know about a difficult probate either. Even a simple one takes a very, very long time. My dad's witness died, says Kate, before my, ba- my dad and my mom. And my mom had to take out probate then. So keep an eye on that. Yes, if your witness dies, that complicates your probate. If there's someone in England or Scotland or France or Wales or the other side of the world or outer Gibrovia who might be related to you, check that out too because that can cause probate problems. John says, get a house valued by an auctioneer. Go into the courthouse and say you want to have probate done on evaluation. Fill out the form. Job done. Costs a few hundred euros versus several hundred thousand with a solicitor. Several thousand with a solicitor. I, I don't know precisely what you mean, John, but I'll take it on board. 0818 96 96 96. Now, if you ever go down to Clonakilty, it was always a lovely place to pop into for, for a cuppa and a sandwich or a pint. I, I stayed there one time uh, many years ago. It was always just a lovely hotel, uh, O'Donovan's family-run business in the heart of Clonakilty. It has been taken over by a vulture fund. And there's a lot of upset and disappointment around Clonakilty that, that this is going to happen. And like I said, Eugene, it's, 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 Eugene Brosnan was posting about this on, on Facebook, your local guy. Eugene, it's a long time since I was there. I remember occasionally if you'd be down covering a court case or something in Clan, it was a, lo- a lovely place to go for lunch afterwards. And always great service. Lovely people, lovely family run. Stayed there only once ever. Morning. Good morning, um, PJ. Thanks for inviting me on to talk about this v- uh, very upsetting situation for obviously not the o- just the O'Donovan family. This is probably every family in Clonakilty, really. Mm. that have a history with Clon. Even last night, I, I you probably knew I, I, I was supposed to be on the other day, but I was in Germany. But I came back last night and went into one of those businesses in town, met someone walking there for years, t- telling me about it. You know, she's up my age, like, but, like, this goes... It, it's in the fabric of the community, the yes. the hotel itself, on Shopbyug. <laughs> you wouldn't get anywhere like it, really. It's a... No. Uh, lovely little pub where loads of musicians are employed on a weekly basis, like seven nights a week during the summer. Yeah. I I was shocked, really. I just put up the post because my own family, you know, my kids, they had their little rites of passage there in the <laughs> in the in the restaurant, you know, going off getting their chips. You know, they're a little independence like and it's a yeah. place where everybody feels safe, PJ and yeah. As I said, only ever stayed there once, Eugene. Um, I was I was down there for a court case, and the thing got put into tomorrow, and it was late in the evening. And I said I couldn't be bothered dragging my arse home, so I stayed down there and like that. Now enjoyed the music, enjoyed a few pints. Such a lovely, lovely, lovely place, and really, really loved it. What's happening with it? It's a vulture fund has taken over a loan, correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, the the situation, it's not finished yet. Like, I mean, the O'Donovan family are an amazing family. Like, it's in the family seven generations, yeah. so they didn't pick it off the ground or whatever. You know, they, they're, they're, they've got a fighting spirit. Um, so what, what actually happened was um, basically during the, they took out a loan and around 2007, and they had a 30-year term on it. Yeah. And 
the banking collapse came briefly. I'll make it as brief as possible. And banking collapse came. The bank decided to change the terms of loan from something like 30 to 20, which put up the payments from 6000 a month to uh, 18000 triple their payment. Now, as well, this is not my department like PJ, but like but our local representatives here, Michael Collins and Christopher O'Sullivan, two great TDs, like, um, they've already outlined the details of it in doll speeches, like, and it's, it seems to be true what has happened, even though to laymen like myself and most people that I've met and most people that I've I've contacted over Facebook or contacted me since I put up the post, they, we don't understand how this can happen. Like, it's it's really shocking that a loan can just, the terms can be changed to such a degree that to make the payments, they had to sell private assets. Yeah. They did their best. They asked for the terms to be changed after a year or six or 18 months again. And they got a break to 10 grand a month or something. And then they found out that the loans had actually been sold and they didn't understand. And we don't understand. That's why I wish Christy or someone would explain why, you know, mm. it, uh, your loan. I mean, are we all open to, to this? Unfortunately, Eugene, it would appear that we are, mate. would appear that we are. You know, the business banks, it's a dirty business, and they'll flog loans off to each other right, left, and center, and they flog the loan to the wrong person and the wrong vulture fund, and they pretty much do what they like. From the updates I have from Dina, the owner of the hotel there, herself and her brother Tommy, are that they are fighting. They've got barristers. No, the receivers have been in, treating them by Dina's um, reckoning and by her her, um, her text to me pretty badly that they came and just looked and decided in front of them what way they were going to sell it off. Oh, I mean, that's heartbreaking after Very seven years. And, and not to mind that the, the, the terrible upset for the family, seven generations. There was it 70 people working in that place now. 70 people, yes, they had their funds cut off. They had to pay staff Christmas money out of their own pockets. 70 people. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's quite amazing. And, and for all of us, everyone in the town, we've never felt... You know, when you go into a, a big place, you can find uh, intimidated, a strong word to use, PJ, but, you know, you never feel that in Donovan's. You oh, feel no, like my you're, God, what a lovely place. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, yeah, that everybody feels like that around the plan if it's split up and broken up the business and if the hotel closes, heart and soul, everybody's saying it. I know it sounds like a cliche, but it is true in plan and you know a plan and you know where it's situated. Yeah. It my, is. my dentist is only down the road from there. I go, I go to Clan the dentist now, and my dentist is only down the yeah. road. And I, I, the last time I was down, I took, a, I took a wander down just for a coffee, you know? It's a lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely, lovely place. Eugene, hopefully something can be done about it. It doesn't look like it right now. But O'Donovan's Hotel, a victim of vulture funding in the heart of Clonakilty. Thanks for that, Eugene Brosnan. 0818969696. You'd hope something can be done to prevent that from happening. Yeah, I do. Why do I go to Clonakilty to the dentist? Because he moved down there. And when you have a good dentist... When you have a good dentist, you'll 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 drive to to see them. Um, 
and when you're terrified of the dentist, you'll drive to see the one you're not terrified of. Come here, before I go, we may have to do this, more about this tomorrow, but would you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's coming back. They're bringing the X-Files back, but there's a real scandal. It's a total scandal. This is according to the Hollywood Reporter. The X-Files will be back, but there will be no Mulder and Scully. You cannot have the X-Factor without Mulder and Scully. No gig for Gillian Anderson. No gig for David Duchovny. Eleven seasons and two films they did. And they're not being brought back in the remake. Something strange is going on. I loved the X-Files. I just can't imagine it without Mulder or Scully. I have big things to worry me. I know I do. That's it. Program edited by Emer O'Hay. Produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining a busy conversation this morning in whatever way you did. We'll talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM.